creating cyberspace and welcome to episode 105 of the double density podcast with your hosts brian and angelo double density your home to tick tales and paranormal primers now first things first angelo i would like to discuss something that was inevitable something that we knew would happen once the review started coming out this of course is uh we're talking about the samsung fold being delayed in a bit where the joke makes itself the samsung fold is going to be tucked away at a later date what people were saying about it was kind of embarrassing for Samsung. And this is the company that had their phones explode. So at least it's not dangerous this time. It just looks really bad. And uh, how how embarrassed do you think the uh, higher-ups at Samsung are? Or do they even care at this point? After the exploding Note 7, I don't think anyone cares over there. Like some scratch screens or people pulling off screen protectors that they're not supposed to pull off, even though they look like the fun things you're supposed to pull off cell phones when you get them. Right. The kill count here is zero, right? Like, I think that's what we need to establish. Yeah, I think it's okay. It's smart to delay a product that is not ready for prime time. It was the the smart move on Samsung part. No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back this up for a second here. The smart move would have been to, uh, you know, QA a little bit more before you end up with a ton of uh, reviews on the Internet about how bad and uh, awful the security measures are for this phone. I'm just trying to get past the notion people have of me as of being a Samsung hater, uh, even though I don't really particularly like their products. I have a Samsung TV that's lasted 11 years, so that's pretty good. That is the silver lining in all of this, I guess. I guess so. I just think at the end of the day, uh, there is some bit of embarrassment there on their part. I, I would hope there is. I'd hope that uh, at least one head will metaphorically roll. I hope not literally. But yeah, it's unfortunate that this has uh, come to be. But all the signs were kind of uh, uh, there. You know, the writing was on the wall, metaphorically speaking, about how bad this was going to get. And then the confirmation slowly trickled in as all of these different uh, reviewers started explaining the fact that, you know, screen blinking. And then uh, there's the instance of like a bump appearing on like one of the uh, folds, right? Like another reviewer is complaining about that. A whole bunch of problems. The The main issue was, was what I mentioned before is there there was like a cover that looked like you should be pulling it off and that just destroyed everything. But uh, I think it was Dieter Bone from The Verge. His phone, he didn't pull off that thing and it still kind of got scratched and didn't look so good after a couple of days of use. And that's just a couple of days. I feel like we were talking about this a couple of episodes ago, but the best thing you can do QA-wise is hand it to a six-year-old and see what happens. They usually destroy things. Although, I have to say, uh, my uh, five-year-old has been playing with the iPad 2 uh, that I bought in 2011. He uses it all the time to watch videos and stuff, and it's still uh, working well. I mean, Apple is uh, sort of really good at queuing, right? So the good news there is that it's, uh, you know, uh, not a surprise that this Apple II in a child's hand would not probably disintegrate or start flickering, uh, you know, days into its usage. Did you just call it an Apple II or an iPad II? I don't remember. It'd be funny if it was an Apple II. Yeah, my son watches videos on an Apple II. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you retrofitted the screen. I don't know. You could be an Apple enthusiast or hobbyist, right? I turned an original Macintosh into a goldfish bowl once. Do you have pictures? No, I never did that. But you can. It's on the internet. I lied. Sorry. Uh, So you just just embarrassed me then. I, I love embarrassing you, Brian. Speaking of embarrassing tech things, I kind of wanted, I was telling the story to a coworker the other day, and I realized this is perfect um, uh, fodder for the the podcast, Angelo. Um, and I want to talk about like embarrassing tech-related things that have happened to you or that you've witnessed or been a participant in. Well, I've always seen the the silly things uh, colleagues did at work back in the day when we had like full administrator access on our PCs, which was never a good idea. 
Lots of people coming to me asking me what this weird thing was in their Internet Explorer. And uh, lots of hot bars, Brian. So many hot bars. <laughs> hot bar upon hot bar upon hot bar. I remember seeing one person's screen was basically half full of hot bars. So can you picture like seven or eight hot bars stacked on top of each other? I don't even know if, how that was possible. Flashing. Yep, it was terrible. There's a couple of things on my end. Firstly, there is a colleague that I used to work with who you know, who definitely would never listen to this podcast. She used to write all of her emails in the subject lines by accident. (laughs) I had somebody send me an email like that the other day. It was really hard to read. So the story I actually wanted to tell, uh, if you will uh, relax and I'm going to walk you through this, uh, takes place about 10 years ago, Angelo. 10 years ago, okay. Yep. I used to work in a pharmacy as a clerk. And on the weekends, I was the, the quasi manager. I was like the floor person, but I, there's no one else, right? Cause it was a small neighborhood pharmacy. So one of the first things you do on Saturday mornings when you start your shift is you go into the basement, into the administrative office and you count all of the uh, lottery tickets that are sort of like in the overstock to make sure that the register and everything else matches up to make sure there are no missing lottery tickets. And did you ever take any of these lottery tickets? Uh, heck no, no, no. Well, firstly, because th- uh, during this time, 20, 2009, 2010, the pharmacy had just installed a brand new uh, digital um, alarm system and a digital security system where there were 16 cameras a little bit everywhere, including in the office, right? So it's kind of hard to steal uh, in the office if they're watching you. The correct answer would have been, you're not the type of person to steal. Well, firstly, I mean, like, that's kind of assumed, right? I don't know. Uh, your trolley problem answer still disturbs me. <laughs> Um, so one of the few kind of joys I had in my sad, pathetic retail life was that uh, there was a computer with speakers there. And what I used to do on Saturday mornings, because counting the lotteries usually took about a half hour to 45 minutes because there's a large box. You had to count them one by one if they were open packs. And so what I would do is I would find like a, a, like a radio station like Q92 or, or some like something to listen to while counting these lotteries. That wasn't the music that I could faintly hear from upstairs. You don't like music? When you have to deal with Muzak nine hours a day in a shift, you're, you kind of get over it. So one Saturday morning, I'm down there. I open up the browser, which was obviously Internet Explorer, and I start typing things into Google because I figure, I don't know what I want to listen to. Let me just, you know, Google a couple of radio stations. And slowly but surely, you know how in Internet Explorer or any other browser, when you start typing in, it kind of auto-completes a bunch of things and it shows you suggestions of things you've searched for? It used to do that back then, too? Yes. Oh. This was 2009, 2010. Oh, okay. So, you know. So slowly but surely, uh, I discovered someone at work was uh, looking up adult things. And uh, assumingly not clearing his history, I guess. Correct. Uh, so every week for about three months on Saturday mornings, I would take a screenshot of this and send it to a friend of mine. Uh, and then we would just call each other and laugh. Um, so I'm going to read off a bunch of search terms over. So I found a bunch of screenshots uh, that I'm not going to be posting on socials because of their very explicit nature. But uh, if you want them, uh, double underscore density on Twitter or, you know, Brian Hasty on Twitter, you can hit me up. I'll send them to you. No problem. But uh, so I'm going to read a couple of terms here, Angela. Are you ready? And I'm assuming most people are not going to hear them because I'm going to be bleeping these out. Correct. So you ready for this? Yeah. Girl, girl, mouth, celebrities, drinking party, first time guzzlers, girl, drinking girl, girls, shy girl, flash your in public, mouth, show your WWE divas videos. And that is just a short helping of some of the things I'd walk into every Saturday morning, my friend. So I decided, and you know, during the course of these three months, I'm going to bite the bullet here and I'm going to check the security camera. So I used the history to figure out when these things were being looked up. 
And then I would check the timestamps in the history and notice that around 6.15 to 6.30 in the morning on Tuesdays, uh, my boss would walk in, presumably alone, decide to uh, pleasure himself, and then, oh. you know, go about his day. Did you, have, did you, like, disinfect that keyboard after you realized this? You know, by the time I reached the keyboard, it was like five days later, too, right? So thankfully, uh, it wasn't that bad. But so <laughs> I, one morning, Saturday morning, I finished counting all of my lottery tickets and I start sweating because I know that I might see something really disgusting and gross, you know, down the line in a couple of minutes. So I open up the security files and uh, I'm starting to look through. And so I notice, okay, so he looked it up at like 6.30 on a Tuesday morning. So let me go back to about 6.15. So I go to 6.15 and I check the cameras and the way it works is like it plays for 6.15 for like all 16 cameras. So it kind of gives you a snapshot in time. So I see my boss come into the front door. He locks it. He goes down the stairs. So I see him, you know, in the back hold and then he enters the uh, office and the camera goes blank. Oh, he was blocking the camera now. So he deleted the footage of himself, pleasuring himself on a continuous basis, but he could not delete his search history. Wow. Which was kind of weird. And also, like, this guy was older, um, and I guess he had a crash course in the security cameras, uh, but nobody explained him how the internet worked. So for his last three months, because he retired maybe a couple months after that, and I wasn't going to blow the whistle on a man who's about to retire. I wasn't that callous, right? So I just, I let it ride, but it was really scary and weird. And some of these were, like, very specific. Like, I, there was another one here that I don't have a screenshot of that was basically, like, horse f- So this guy... First of all, that's very that's horrifying. First of all, that's horrifying. But this guy, did you ever kind of look at him and like sort of wink and nod and say, I, I know, I know things? Never, never. Because oh. if I had winked and nodded at him, he wouldn't have understood what I was trying to tell him. He would have just thought, uh, oh, you're looking at porn too? <laughs> yeah, that or like, why is he winking? Like he wasn't, he wasn't that emotionally intelligent, I guess, to, to read the room. Well, first of all, you're just looking at this type of stuff at work. So, uh, you can't be on the ball that much. No, I mean, it's not as bad as when I tried to look up our past guest, Dan Morin's website, and it turned out to be uh, listed under pornography, you know, in my web filter at work. But hey, <laughs> poor Dan. So be it, you know. <laughs> Anyways, I just wanted to show that. It was just a memory in time. Uh, if you guys have embarrassing tech stories that you've witnessed, that you've lived through yourselves, uh, double underscore density, double density podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your stories. Uh, you know, it happens to everyone. It, it seems to happen to you a lot, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole is is a little extreme. Double density. So you and I here on Double Density love to talk about weird and wondrous things. We love to talk about nostalgia. We like to talk about old problems and new problems. And this week we found uh, a mixture of everything that I think kind of uh, sells us as Double Density. So we have a story here from the New York Times all about how New York City has a Y2K-like problem and it doesn't want you to know about it. So Angela, basically what had happened is on April 6th, something known as a GPS rollover, which is kind of like the Y2K bug in terms of, you know, rolling over the 99 to the 00. No one knew what would happen there. Um, kind of occurred... Um, throughout different, uh, you know, uh, GPS systems. And uh, so some companies had a fix for it. Some uh, did not. So NYC Win, basically a contractor uh, that had won the bid of $500 million um, in order to be able to facilitate all of these different wired systems, uh, hasn't come out and said that it's, uh, you know, a problem. Neither has it said that it's been fixed. So the presumption right now, understandably, is that uh, New York City, uh, a lot of their um, sort of uh, transportation systems and things like that don't seem to be working. This rollover thing has to do with the the clock that GPS uses to locate things, and it has to be reset. And now this new reset will make it last much longer. So it'll be over a hundred years before they have to replace it, and who knows what we'll be using then. 
Uh, but one of the things, because it has to do with their clock, uh, a quote from the article that made it sound really dangerous. While traffic signals continue to operate normally, a city official who was not authorized to speak publicly about the shutdown and asked not to be named said there was a concern that as they remained disconnected, the timing of individual signals could drift slightly and they could eventually come out of sync with one another. Mm. Uh, this this kind of reminds me of like uh, the uh, audio drift we deal with when we edit this podcast since we're in two separate locations with two different computer clocks. Even though we both have Macs, we're both running uh, similar operating systems, because our computers have slightly varying internal clocks, my audio drifts from your audio, and I have to constantly like kind of uh, drag uh, one of us back or forth to make it sound like we're in sync. Uh, we kind of, um, we clap at the beginning to like do a, an old school way of timing it. This is kind of like that, except in our podcast, when we're out of sync, nothing happens. Uh, if uh, traffic lights are out of sync, bad things can happen. That's all these different secondary systems, right? So a lot of, uh, a series of number, uh, a series of New York City officials were alerted to this by the New York Times and started uh, looking into the issue because it is a big situation to deal with, right? So, you know, Saturday's alert also reported that uh, 12,389 traffic signal controllers were down. So that's a bit of a problem. I know that they're back up, but uh, the fact that uh, the company in charge of this contract had not disclosed it is uh, a big problem. I feel like it's very emblematic of what we're probably going to see a lot of in the future is a lot of these sorts of problems occurring. Um, companies unwilling to disclose issues uh, that are of vital importance, right? Well, and this is of vital importance to an entire city of millions of people. On a smaller scale, I actually got an email today from TomTom telling me that my device was out of date and needed to be updated. Now I don't have a TomTom device, and I think it's from like 10 years ago when uh, my parents got a GPS and we used my email address to register it. Uh, and, And as soon as I got it, what did I do? I forwarded it to you because I wanted you to see that, hey, look, our story is relevant to me as well. (laughs) Which is always the case here on Double Density. We try to tie things into your life as much as possible, I feel like. I am Truman in my own Truman show, aren't I? Except for the horse Anyways, uh, a little bit alarming and a continual problem. Um, that is to be sure. And the thing is that like, no, we, we talked about, I think with, you know, when my head, uh, my guest Bruno on about the idea of, you know, when you have all these systems that have been queued out, QA'd out for 30 years, you're very reticent to change platforms, right? So anytime you do that, you ha- like, I have a new set of uh, rules to deal with and all these like weird, uh, user created, um, bugs and, and loopholes and things like that that you need to go through. So I think these are the sorts of growing pains, uh, we tend to see a lot. I often tell people we should be happy our tech actually works as well as it does because there's so many little things that can go wrong. Now, here's a fun example that just happened to us about five minutes ago. As we were starting that story, uh, Brian's internet wasn't working and uh, he went to reset his modem. No, no, no. It was working poorly. So I decided to go get myself some fresh internet. Okay. So you, he he opened the, the tap to have more internet come through. And then when I was waiting for him to come back, uh, which didn't take very long, I noticed that the files that we were recording uh, didn't record, or at least seemingly didn't record. But when I looked at my folder for uh, the app I use is Audio Hijack, it said there, there, was, there was actually something in there. I just couldn't see them. No idea what happened. I rebooted my Mac and they were there. So I'm not quite sure why uh, Mac OS was refusing to show me those, those files, but uh, I'm glad they were there because I didn't feel like recording, re-recording the first 15 minutes of the episode. How many sweat beads? Not too many, because I saw that there was uh, like 28 megabytes of something in the folder. So I figured, okay, okay something's something's there. So Fair enough. I think I'm safe. 
uh, I stopped paying attention to your story uh, half of the way in, let's say, because my attention span is shrinking. And apparently I'm not the only one. The last piece we want to cover on the tech section here for 105 is uh, from The Guardian. And it's all about how our uh, globally our attention span is shrinking. It's something that you and I have discussed. We both know this to be a fact, but it's nice to see or disarming or disheartening to see that this is occurring on a global scale. So the title of the article is Global Attention Span is Narrowing and Trends Don't Last as Long, Study Reveals. And I kind of feel like I have a very emblematic kind of uh, example of this. Ready for this, Angelo? I am. I'm always listening, Brian. <laughs> Even if you don't want to, you're forced to. Exactly. Uh, the way in which we consume movies and uh, miniseries and television shows on Netflix, right? It's kind of a consumption. It's a pump and dump. A pump and dump. Okay, good. Like, for example, like take Making a Murder, right? So when that happened, it was all about, you know, we talked about that for like two weeks, let's say, or three weeks, right? Uh, and that was kind of a longer tail kind of thing. And then everyone got excited about it, forgot about it, right? Kind of pump and dumped. Yeah, it was like cereal. Yeah, exactly. Not, not the food, but like cereal, the, the, the podcast that like that, that created podcasting, according to everybody. Like, for example, last week or a couple weeks ago, the Beyonce Homecoming documentary came out. And that was the talk of the Internet for about, you know, a couple of days. And then, you know, pump and dump. Things just come and go much more quickly than they did before. It's it's a known fact. There's a lot of research that's mentioned in this article. It's a short article, but there is, uh, of course, they had to make it short, right? That that makes the most sense. And uh, did you get through the whole thing, Brian? I sure did, Angelo. Good news. I love myself a good long read. Yeah, it wasn't a long read, though, which well, if the, it was a long that, read, I, I would not have made it through. making a joke here um, about my attention span and how much I'm willing to pay attention, Angelo. Get with the program. Double density. I see this, uh, I worry about it because I try, I, I'm, I'm raising two children and uh, my wife and I try to make sure that they don't have like this, this they go from one thing to another, to another, to another. I, I try. I notice it the most when they're, when they are watching something on, uh, on Netflix or YouTube or whatever, where it's always about the next thing or watch the next thing or see what's coming next or mm -hmm. whatever. It's, it's never about being in the moment, which I try to do. You know, I kind of grew up in a time where you kind of had to watch what was on and that's it. So I try to stay in the moment. Like, so let's say I'm watching something on TV. I try not to have like my phone in my hand. So like I get distracted by like Instagram or whatever. Right. What I do at night now is if I'm watching something on the television, I'll go into the other room and plug my phone in in order to keep a safe distance from it. It's horrible that we have to go to these lengths to keep us away from our little uh, addictions. But I, I just keep my phone on my on my table. I'm actually pretty good about not taking it to the TV. It doesn't help that there are shows. I remember when I used to watch like TV when it was like, you know that, remember TV when it was live and you would watch it at the same time? Yes, water cooler moments. Yeah, well, uh, I remember Breaking Bad would have like the two screen experience. What do you mean? So they would, so AMC would have something happening on their web app and you would be watching it at the same time oh, yes, on yes. TV. Sorry, I thought uh, you I meant literally that you were uh, watching on two screens all at the same time. Yeah, you would see uh, from uh, Walter White's point of view and then from Jesse's point of view. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, can I, I'm going to read from the article, actually. I, a very pertinent quote I feel is, is very important here. Quote, content is increasing in volume, which exhausts our attention and our urge for newness causes us to collectively switch between topics more regularly, said Philip Lorenz Spreen of the Max Planck Institute for Human Development. I think that's, that kind of you know summarizes the entire article as well as the trends that we're li living through. I would be curious to know if anybody skipped this section. And uh, if you have, uh, let us know, but you won't be able they to. They won't. Because Paradoxically the speaking, they won't know. Yeah. Speaking of skipping sections, let's uh, end this uh, right here and move on to the paranormal section. Sounds good.
Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So the first thing on the docket tonight is a uh, Philly Inquirer story uh, filed by someone from the Orlando Sentinel called The UFO Community Still Believes and Science is Starting to Listen. So I know that we covered this a couple of months ago where we had done this article about like people who believe but also like belong to these groups and, and you know, live normal lives. And it's kind of like a human interest story. Yeah, they 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 were looking for a place to connect with people and it reminded me uh, I can't believe I'm bringing them up again but uh, the flat earthers reminded me of this when I saw them in their documentary. Right. And so you feel like there's like a, a likeness there. You just you want to belong, right? At the end of the day and I feel like a lot of these groups kind of let you do that. Exactly. That's what people want. Uh, they want to know that people have experienced the same things as them. And this story starts out with something uh, actually really interesting to me. And that's because um, it talks about a woman named Trish Bishop who saw an alien, but not the typical alien everybody says they see, right? And that's the gray alien with the big eyes and little tiny mouth and all that. She said she saw a guy who was six foot three, maybe 220 pounds, really muscular, wearing a like form-fitting tan-colored uniform. And when he turned around, he had these weird eyes that bulged out. So she she says she knew he wasn't some sort of government worker or anything like that. It sort of made me think of uh, Joe Symington. Remember him? Oh, the space can- pancakes. Yeah. Well, he said the aliens were vaguely Italian looking. That always struck me as funny. But now we don't we don't hear about people talking about different types of aliens. It's, it's always true. the the grays. Why do you think that is? Because that's the image that is conjured into people's heads. And when they have whatever caused them to have this experience, that's the image they see, right? Because uh, as you well know, I don't think there's actually gray aliens coming to kidnap people. Uh, it's mostly things that happen due to some sort of sleep issue. Right. So it's more so Earth-based. But, you know, as we talked about in our episode about aliens and trauma, sometimes aliens are used as a mask for trauma. Um, so I feel like this may fall into that category. That's exactly it. Or, or maybe she just saw a really weird looking uh, government worker. Listen, it, this is from the Orlando Sentinel. And do you know where Orlando is? It's in Florida. Yes. So just think about that for a sec. Um, but yeah, the article is really interesting because it also uh, dates or sort of like a stands out um, to me because the fact that they mentioned the Space Ghost Group, which is a bunch of former NASA employees and engineers about um, people who are interested in, you know, outer space. Um, more skeptical, though, than like, you know, other groups mentioned in here, like MUFON. Well, anybody's more skeptical than MUFON at this point because they seem to be getting rid of all the good researchers they have. That's true, very much so. Um, the article is a really does a really good way uh, of framing the issue of humanity and extraterrestrials. I feel like it, you know, when you start reading it, you're kind of like, oh, this is really interesting. You get some history in there, but there's also the idea of, uh, you know, the people involved uh, on a micro level. I can empathize with with uh, Ms. Bishop because she and that's the thing she she brings up that you know she's not lying, and I I don't think skeptics think that these people are liar they they always worry that they're being thought of as liars and i don't think the vast majority of people that report ufos or alien abductions or whatever they're lying they're not they're conveying an experience they have the the issue comes in that they think the experience they had is exactly 
as it happened. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's their worldview, right? So the only thing they understand is what they see. So in order for the brain to make sense of this, it's essentially saying like, okay, this is a UFO. This is an alien. This was an abduction. There's always the statement that comes out of people saying, I know what I saw. Well, you know, you you think you know what you saw. And that's what you remember seeing. But it's not necessarily what you actually saw. For sure. And I think we're going to get into that uh, in a little bit with, uh, you know, the meat and potatoes of this episode. But I do feel like you're right, right? Like it's the idea of human fallibility at the end of the day, right? So while the person who has an experience believes in the experience, empirically speaking, um, it's only one side of a multifaceted story that usually has a pretty sensible explanation to it. And sometimes when you've seen something so fantastic and you want it to be true, it's hard to accept the irrational explanation, which oftentimes is super boring. Yeah, I mean, it's always a letdown, right, to think that the alien abduction you had was simply, I don't know, like a street lamp. Yeah, the massive UFO you saw was a passing car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, I'm like I'm not trying to mock people who have experiences or you know put them down or anything because I do believe that there's a sincerity there. As you're saying, of course, like any sort of um, large scale um, idea or notion, of course there are grifters and people with malicious intent who fabricate stories in order to uh, you know allow themselves to enter um, you know the spotlight and become. Uh, part of a community, uh, you know, through malicious means. And that, that does happen too. Right. But I feel like the sort of like the overwhelming majority of people here are uh, innocent of that and believe what they've seen. Especially when it's like a one-off experience. If Ms. Bishop starts coming out and saying, oh, and now they came back and he brought his wife and kids and they're also like muscular and bug-eyed. Um, then you're then, just describing Rael. Yeah. Or, or exactly. Or Billy Meyer or any of those that, they had one specific experience that may have been an actual thing that happened. And then they just decided to elaborate on that because they enjoyed the notoriety. Um, somebody else uh, that you don't like me mentioning, but is uh, uh, our buddy Romanek. Yeah, the less said about him, the better, but continue. Well, he may have, a lot of people speculate that he did actually have an actual experience where he saw something that he thought was a UFO. Um, and then he decided to have puppets in his house and things like that. So, uh, and he's, uh, he's not a good person anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Right. If you want to know what happened to him, go ahead and Google Stan Romnick because we won't be uh, talking about him much more than that. But yeah, it's an interesting article. I feel it, it brings out the human side of things that we often like to talk about, right? Because I feel like although we do cover a lot of UFO cases, it's really the people, the experiences, the sort of context in which these happen, things happen that we like to talk about more. Yeah, and how they interpret what they saw. Like, who knows if you were standing there in Florida and saw some guy. He may not have been an alien. He may just have been like uh, a really buff dude who had had too many steroids. A dude who wants to use your computer to look up horse. Double density. Uh, let's get to the uh, main article I want to talk about this week. It's from The New Yorker, and it is entitled, What's New About Conspiracy Theories? Question mark. And I feel like this is something that I want to unpack with you, Angelo. That sounds good. You love unpacking conspiracy theories because of all the things that uh, in this paranormal, and we, we kind of lump in conspiracies with paranormal because they are sometimes even more far-fetched than like aliens visiting us. And I think that's why you like them so much because for some reason, these things that are based on earthly matters are less plausible than the fantastical like stories of ghosts and aliens and all that stuff. For sure. Like I am more willing to believe in, you know, big, big feats or Sasquatch 
uh, rather than some of these things. So the article, of course, uses a, um, uh, a framing narrative of talking about Pizzagate, which we talked about in episode 86 back in December. Uh, we kind of ran through uh, Pizzagate there, but it kind of gives this interesting overview of the change in which uh, the way in which things have changed over the last, like, let's say, like 30 years or 40 years. Right. And and more drastically so in just the last maybe eight or so years, because so much more information is out there and readily available to people who want to look for it. And then they fall into these echo chambers where it's all just bounced around and just morphs into one more insane conspiracy after another. Right. So I kind of have a couple of theories that I kind of explore with you about all of this. Um, and I know, uh, so I want you to start with what you said to me uh, today when we first talked about this article as to the cause of all this. Well, it's really all because of YouTube, isn't it? The long and short of it is yes, but I feel like it's also emblematic and points towards a, a larger idea. So uh, let's sort of go through this. Angelo, who creates YouTube videos? Uh, people. People, exactly. So I feel like the growth in conspiracy theory culture and the number of conspiracy theories and how seriously they're taken is not just a result of YouTube's algorithms, but it's of user generated content, right? So the idea, you know, even, uh, you know, a generation ago was the idea that you were, uh, you had to seek these things out, right? Like it wasn't very mainstream. You couldn't just walk up to your magical, you know, the box and type in search terms. You had to search things out in libraries. You had to figure out, um, who to talk to about the sort of like more esoteric stuff. Right. So we're, uh, you know, which small press houses were printing these books or, you know, where you could get a zine or things like that. So you were more of a receiver of things, whereas now in this user generated content sort of culture, you are creating content. Right. So you're an active participant in these theories, which is why things like QAnon have grown so much. Well, and you not only can create them, it's just also much easier to spread the information because people are more willing to gather information if it's given to them in video form and now there's all these videos whereas before you like you said you had to like put some effort into going and finding these different texts and oftentimes really uh, low print run books to actually get this information now it's just you know a few people find it and then they just put videos out there and then millions of you will see these videos. Right. And due to uh, YouTube's algorithm, a lot of people tend to pick that up, right? Uh, a couple of interesting things about this article, you know, they talk about some of the research done. Um, they talk about, you know, for example, like President Donald Trump and his penchant for mentioning conspiracy theories. Okay, so he's another part of the problem. When you have somebody who's, you know, went from a reality star at one, so at one point a lot of people follow him that way because you know he's a he's he's been famous since the what late 70s at this point yeah I'd then, say in mid 80s and then it really took off with the apprentice so people followed him through that and then like watching i watched the apprentice i think once and uh, he seemed i don't want to say normal but he didn't seem uh, as insane as he seems now am i allowed to say that sure, uh, sure. am i gonna you, get you said uh, seems right so seems exactly right alleged allegedly but then you know like uh, the whole thing when uh, Barack Obama went into office and he started saying that he wasn't born in the US and talking about the birth certificate and all that stuff and then starting to push all kinds of things and then coming out that even before he was into conspiracies and now he's in the highest office arguably the most important country in the world and he's giving out these ideas of nuggets of truth yeah <laughs> from the Oval Office, and you would never have seen them before, no matter what president was in there. 
Well, Jimmy Carter wanted to tell you the truth about UFOs at one point, right? Yeah, but he only talked about that after. True. Um, and then he realized it was Venus. So, you know, when we take, you know, when you, one of the points that the article makes is the idea that there's a trickle down effect, right? So historically and traditionally speaking, conspiracy theorists were on the outside of, of these spheres of political influence. And then suddenly to have the man at the proverbial top, you know, mention these on a regular basis, um, it, it does create an atmosphere in which you can sort of, uh, start to foster these ideas, such as QAnon, specifically in talking about, you know, a lot of this, um, uh, Pizzagate stuff as well as the Donald Trump stuff. Um, but then also just the idea of a lot of these other, uh, more acceptable quote-unquote conspiracy theories such as flat earth right yeah and uh, something i took away from this article was some of the people that these conspiracy groups actually are going against and they're the ones who are responsible for the problems of the world and there's a list that they they put on and there's like the they mentioned the usual suspects right the catholics the communists uh they're always uh, at the top of these conspiracy theorists lists of all the problems being caused, which is then there's nothing to base. There's no fact to base this on, but then they have these surprising targets as said in the, in the article. Uh, the one that really stood out to me was ice companies. <laughs> Does that have to do with how they think climate change is a myth or something? Flat earth uh, too, right? The idea yeah. of the, you know, the Arctic wall, the ice wall, um, that that's come down uh, maybe who knows right, i don't right. want a spoiler alert uh <laughs> the, like the luther newspapers uh the senate printing office and the prime minister of malta poor guy a fine list of individuals and entities my friends just to list things off right they have these crazy schemes that they're proposing too like uh again from the article from herbert hoover's secret business deals to bankrupt the u.s to a cia plot to spread lesbianism Checks out. Uh, I want to also read a, a, a quote from the article that I feel helps frame what you just said, right? So the internet revolution has displaced the gatekeepers, the producers, editors, and scholars who decided what was worthy of dissemination. This has opened the way for conspiracy entrepreneurs who proffer a seemingly infinite array of wild accusations. We always joke that like technology, people are worried that it's like its own conspiracy and how Technology is blamed for all these ills that previously were blamed on comic books and books and like music and all that stuff. In this case, I, I feel like sites like YouTube and Facebook uh, really are the problem. The funny thing is, I feel like at the end of the day, like, and I, I've mentioned this before, like media literacy will save us from all of these things, right? So um, they talk about a, a the thing is they don't mention the size of the study or, you know, uh, how many participants and things, but they mention uh, they've polled a lot of people, right? So the idea of people with lower education tend to believe more readily in conspiracy theory culture and a lot of things, whereas people who are more educated tend to believe less and less in these things, right? So I do believe that the divide there is uh, formal education, yes, sure, and that is a classist problem, especially in the United States, but I don't want to talk about that right here, right now. But what I'm talking about more is the idea is more education, more media education, right? So more media literacy, more chances to understand what you're being fed tends to allow you to become uh, more skeptical of, you know, things that are essentially baseless. Because many people would think uh, that conspiracy theorists are, it's based on politics, but no, like there's people that believe in conspiracies on both sides of the, of the political spectrum just different conspiracies, right? Like on the left, you'll have like uh, the anti-GMO people and anti-vaccine people. And on the right, you'll have often more political things like the whole QAnon and all that stuff. 
Right. So it's kind of spread equally all over the place. Um, something interesting that I don't agree with in the article is they're talking about another way of methodology that they were using to sort of pinpoint if there is a rise in uh, conspiracy theory culture is that they use uh, newspapers as a way of sort of being able to gauge that. So they went over a hundred years worth of uh, uh, New York Times and Chicago Tribune um, pages and letters to the editor. Um, but I feel like as we continue on through the future, and especially over the last like 15, 20 years, that has shifted from newspapers to the internet so i don't feel like it is an accurate portrayal because they're finding say that they're they've always been sort of like the the same amount of conspiracy talk within these pages but once again like that's gatekeeping right so these editors are sort of deciding what letters get in there's always somebody deciding what people are going to see there's always that so newspapers are uh the internet of the 50s yes i i definitely i would agree with that um something very 50s, important 60s and 70s Something very important that I want to mention is that this article highlights another favorite article of mine by Anna Merlin, who uh, went on the conspiracy cruise uh, in 2015 and wrote a story for it for Jezebel and then turned that into a book. If you can, buy, go Google search this. We'll put this in the show notes. It is an amazing story. Uh, I think I've linked you to it multiple times and it always makes yes, me laugh. Yes, so we've, we've discussed it before so good. the podcast started. Yeah. So good. Um, and then at the end of the article, they kind of talk about how uh, a lot of people in a lot of these sort of milieus, especially with QAnon and things like that, um, tend to believe that they're the rational person and other people protesting are either plants or, you know, uh, government officials or the other like. And there's a like a new layer of paranoia added to the entirety of this paranoid cake. And you actually said paranoid layer cake? Yes. See, that's that's not a very tasty sounding cake, Brian. It, it is not, but it's the cake of truth, my friend. Um, and, you know, and this is the kind of... of uh, sad reality we live in where there's a lack of critical thought because the idea and the ironic thing and i think we've talked about this is the idea of you going along with a trend thinking that you're an individual but truly you're clearly not because you haven't spent enough time looking into things in order to make a very uh credible very in-depth sort of decision behind you know joining a movement or wanting to believe in a set of beliefs and and the problem with trying to teach people media literacy is Although it's not as strong as many people think that it is, but there is that backfire effect where you can't convince somebody of something and you just end up reinforcing what they originally thought. Well, yeah, of course. It has to do as well with confirmation bias. People will love to believe what they believe and that's it. They're only going to look for what proves their point. And anytime you kind of are against that, they'll just say you're like a a plant from the other side. And that's a problem that was coming up in this article where there's like three or four different groups and and each one thinks the other one has paid actors and stuff. And it's ridiculous. So another thing that the article does mention is the idea, um, and it's a compare and contrast between Columbine and Sandy Hook, right? So Columbine truly was sort of happening, you know, when the internet um, uh, culturally speaking, of course, in terms of connectivity was in its nascent stages versus Sandy Hook 2012. Everyone believed that there were crisis actors that it actually didn't believe, right? And that's only like 13 years difference in between one event and the other, where the first one we actually empirically believed that it happened, there were victims, and the other one, uh, you know, from its very base, there were questions about who did what and why did it happen, etc., that shouldn't have even existed, but did anyways, because the wrong questions were asked critically. And uh, when Alex Jones was questioned about this, because he was uh, he was sued, correct by the he's families? still yeah it's still going on. 
still going on. And he was, he mentioned that he was under some sort of psychosis when he was talking about these right. things. Right. I mean, he's backtracked because clearly his lawyers have told him that it is not a winnable case when you have a bunch of crying parents, which makes sense, especially if you try to attack um, something with a ton of evidence to it. Um, so I feel like he's slowly but surely backing away from that. And I did listen to him on Joe Rogan just to see what he was saying about that. And it, it clearly his tune has changed and he has admitted, uh, not necessarily being wrong, but, you know, sort of reading the situation incorrectly. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't listen to that. Ah, that's I, I, you're a brave man to, to try and take one for the team. It's the know your enemy attitude towards things, right? Like you, you can talk about things if you have experienced them, which is why, of course, I have read some Fifty Shades of Grey. I've seen Twilight movies. I read the first book. I can talk to you all about that. If you'd like, Angelo, I can call you up for bed. I can, uh, you know. Uh, the Fifty Shades movies are all on Netflix now. Are you going to be watching with your family? Probably not. No, because you're media literate and you understand what that means. Exactly. And with that, my friends, I feel like this is an ideal place to draw episode 105 to a close. Angela, where can people find us? Wrong. I'm going to tell them where you can find us. You can go ahead on Twitter, double underscore density. You can head over to Instagram, double density podcast. The same thing on, uh, you know, the internet everywhere. Uh, you can also email us at double density podcast at gmail.com. Head over to double density at.net. You can click on the contact button, drop us a line there. See all of our newest episodes. Click on the host page to learn a little bit about us. Does that sound good? That sounds amazing, Brian. Sounds amazing. So, Angela, I want you to tune in next week as you and I debate the merits of Rendlesham Forest. Is it the aquatic park of our dreams or simply a a sham event? That's going to be a tricky one because people are going to be really upset about that. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be great, Angela. Don't don't worry about it. I just just go with the flow. All right, Brian. I'll see you there. See you there. Can I just say you win the award for best segue of the evening? I'm trying here. I'm really, that really was trying here. Quite impressive. After our internet broke. Well, at first I was I offended the that you stopped listening to my stupid story. And I was going Go to the say, I'm, I'll just add chapter markers so people could skip it. Fine internet water. But uh, yeah, that was, that was masterfully done, Brian. I can see why you have a degree in uh, communication. Okay. Uh, uh, uh.